0: Alright man, we've started, uh, what's up guys? So this afternoon I've got a great guest. Uh, you guys might know, might not know Jake actually, but Jake is pretty much the Jordan Spieth of Overwatch. Uh, I actually started watching Jake before the World Cup, stalking the stream and whatnot. Uh, personally, I got into Overwatch, mainly because my golf course suggested that during the off season, which was two, se- two off seasons ago, that I picked up a uh, competitive game and this offseason, I got to see my man Jake play in the World Cup and the first split of the Watch League. So, you know, your boy's a grinder and Jake's also a grinder, plus DPS God, by the way. So put your hands up for my mans. And how are you feeling today, Jake? Hey, what up? It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here as well. It's good to have you as well. Uh, some of my audience might not quite know who you are, so any chance you can take us back to the very beginning, you know, and how did you get involved with competitive gaming as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pro gamer right now for the Houston Outlaws, um, playing in the Overwatch League. Um, but it all started, I think, with Team Fortress 2, you know, when I was coming up, like, uh, in high school and then a little bit of college. I was really interested in competitive TF2, even though there was never like a shred of a chance to really be a professional player. There was no way to, you know, make a living off that game. Um, but when Overwatch came out, I knew that it would be different because Blizzard always supports their games and always makes sure that they're successful. Uh, and they really came through on that front with Overwatch. So it was a game that, I've you know, from day one, I was like grinding, trying to be a competitive player. Uh, and it, it got lucky a few
0: times, worked hard a few times, and it worked out in the end. Nice. So this, okay, so Overwatch is your first game you went pro and then? Yeah, I mean, I was
1: in ESEA Invite in Team Fortress 2, which is like technically the highest level of competition. But I mean, even at that level, there was no sponsors or anything. So I was not a, even though I was at the highest level, I wasn't quote unquote a professional until Overwatch came around.
0: Yeah, I did watch one of the videos you were explaining um, the very first laptop, I think it was, that you played Overwatch on. How was it to play the game on that? (laughs) I think it was like 30 oh episodes. yeah, I
1: mean right when the game came out, I, yeah, I was on a, I was studying abroad in the Netherlands and I um I only had my laptop, so I just made like a bootcamp Windows partition and s- installed Overwatch and started playing. It was just terrible frames and basically the worst setup I've ever played on, but you know made it work, made it happen. Still grinded so much that season that I was top 500 in Europe even on the laptop, so. I think from that point, I kind of knew, I was like, well, once I get on a real setup, I can
0: take this game over. All right. So back then, Winston, man, by the way, or what? Yeah, can... exactly.
1: Winston and Roadhog were my, were my top two. And then I ended up being like a Roadhog player for the first few months. I was a competitor just because that was, you know, he's a really powerful character. You kind of wanted him in every situation um, in mm-hmm. his original, his original strength.
0: I mean, you were kind of a noob. I mean, you're using the one-shot hook character. I mean, that's retarded. <laughs> uh, but I'll you do whatever to... it takes to get the Ws. I mean, yeah, that's why people need to shut up about the scatter. Uh, you went to college in the Netherlands. So when you started Overwatch, you were still in college? Or what happened there? Uh, no, I, I didn't go to college overall in the Netherlands. I went oh, really? to
1: a small school in Ohio, but I was just studying abroad for the yeah. semester that Overwatch happened to come out. So, I just uh, happened to be in the Netherlands, (laughs) but uh, overall, I I spent I did three and a half years at Denison University in Ohio, just a small liberal arts college. I didn't quite finish my degree, but I'm like two classes away, and they've allowed me to defer completion indefinitely, so I can come back whenever, probably whenever my pro career is done realistically, and just finish a couple courses, get a degree.
0: All right, all right. Um. So. Was it when Overwatch came out that you were like, okay, I want to go pro in this, or was it like uh, maybe after a couple of months of playing? Sorry, what was that? When Overwatch came out, were you like, okay, I want to go pro in this, or was it after a couple of months of playing? Yeah, I
1: mean, before it came
0: out. Before It before it it
1: came out. It was like when they announced the game and I saw like the, you know, the cinematic trailers, I was like, yeah, okay, this is... I knew that it was going to be a game that was similar enough to TF2 like in the fundamental just mechanics like there are projectiles you have to aim and there's hit scan you have to aim and like those fundamental mechanics I felt like I I would already have an advantage in the game just because I had spent so much time in TF2 and I was such a competitive player in TF2 that I felt like there would be no player that would just have a head start on me um, with the exception of people who are already in the beta. Um, I applied to the beta the first day but I unfortunately never got in Um, so for me it was just like once I once I, by the time I actually got the game, I was far beyond the point of like, yeah, I really want to go pro. Like, I, I, I was I was feeling that way. I think throughout the beta, I was just watching, even though I couldn't play. Felt like this is definitely the game I want to compete in.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if that was before the game came out, so I would say you set yourself a goal to go pro. Then what is the skills that you set yourself to achieve the goal? Like where were you like, okay, so I want to go pro, but this is what I need to do to do it. I mean,
1: in a sense, it was, there's like the individual aspect of it, which is super important. Where you just have to put in a ton of work and time and just become better at the game. But I think that was honestly less important, you know, in the early days than the the other set of skills, which is like how to be a good team player, how to lead a team, joining a team, finding a team, like all those skills and, and, and things that go into being on a successful team. I mm-hmm. felt like actually ended up being more important than... Um, than you know just just raw skill because Overwatch is is first and foremost a team game and you know team decision making and and coordination beats individual skill almost every time. So I think for me and especially with my my first team, Bird Noises, we really focused on, you know, how do we be the best team rather than thinking of it as like how do we each become the best individual player we can be. Uh, although you're also thinking about that. I mean the team stuff definitely came first. So I think for me it was like bird noises and and all the things I learned playing with that squad were, were super big for me and, and my competitive future.
0: Yeah. And speaking of you know, all that team stuff and whatnot, uh, what do you think made you take the biggest strides forward? Strides, meaning mechanical skill, team play, and I guess also ladder, SR comes into it.
1: I think for me, um... I've always been like a a grinder, like I've always had the perspective that the only thing that separates, you know, you and the best player in the world is that they work harder than you. Yeah. Um, That there's no like fundamental ability that anybody has that's like, you know, that you can't overcome. Basically, no, nobody's born special and and unbeatable. Uh, They probably just work harder than you. So for me, I was just always, I always put in the hours, even when we were signed um, under hammers and luminosity gaming uh, as LG evil. even when we were signed, I never stopped grinding, never stopped, you know, like really working hard and, and trying to be the best. I think also for me, Team USA was like a huge opportunity to grow. Um, so being selected to play on the national team for, for the United States was it was awesome because I really came to really, really like the players that I played with. And, and you know, I'm really happy that I ended up being on a team with a few of them. Um, but I also I learned so much from that team and all those players, you know, they made me a better teammate, they made me a better player. Uh, and it was also a huge motivator for me because I was like, "Wow, this is an incredible chance to prove my skill on the world stage." So I think as soon as, when I was like, as soon as I was in that trial process, I probably worked harder than I ever worked in my life to become a better player and just you know grind as hard as possible.
0: Yeah, I've also always wondered if you started out playing Winston and Roadhog at a crappy laptop, then how did you come to playing DPS class?
1: Uh, well, I, I would always played. Um, DPS or I guess the DPS equivalent in other games like it always played like fragging characters um, Rather than supporting characters or like space creating characters Um, So I think the DPS role came naturally to me in that sense Um, But I also feel like I was able to bring some stuff from the tanking role into the DPS role like uh, focus on calling I know a lot of DPS players like don't call very much or just rarely call Um, Especially in high intensity situations because you just you just need to hit the shots at the end of the day And that's that's like more important than anything you could say Uh, But for me as a player, I've been like I think I I call a lot more than most DPS and I'm able to be like uh, uh, Something of like a TL in some situations team leader Um, Which is really good I think on some DPS characters like some styles like soldier and Junkrat, really lend themselves to that where they're not as as mechanically demanding as a character like Tracer or Genji, but Uh, So letting your team know exactly what you're doing and who's low and what they can follow up on is like a really, really valuable thing because it allows every one of your teammates to be more effective. Um, So for me, like, I think I was able to sort of get that middle ground between being a tank and a DPS player, where I'm helping to like lead the team and make sure everyone is is being as effective as they can be. Uh, But I'm also in the DPS role, which is a little bit non-traditional.
0: Yeah. And uh, to be fair, it's kind of still is. But back in the day, Rorog was basically DPS that fed and one-shot itself. So. yeah exactly
1: exactly i mean and that's the thing when i was playing road i was like um i was a pretty strong player i'd say in north america and Roadhog, just um aiming right clicks and hooks and stuff so i think i felt i felt like i already had like a pretty um pretty strong aim and i, I just i wanted to leverage that in a role that really puts that to the test
0: yeah i obviously you're pro now but before you did reach a goal of becoming pro um who are the people who are actually supporting you through this Um, I'd
1: say my family definitely. Well, not before I went pro like after I got signed my first team I didn't even tell my parents or or, or anybody and that I that I was signed or that I was trying to to become signed until I actually got Signed to a pro team. I didn't tell them how much I was playing or or like what I was trying to do, you know Because I honestly didn't think they'd understand or or really be supportive at least until I actually had something to show for it uh, like a paycheck so when I was first signed, I was able to like you know, call my parents, and be like, "Yeah, let's go." Um, by the way, I'm doing this, um, and they're like, "Well, that's fine as long as it doesn't interfere with your schoolwork, I guess." Uh, but over over time, I think as they come to see that there's like a real career here and that it's actually, you know, something
0: tangible, something within reach,
1: it's um, that's definitely really changed things for them. I think there, my parents were always like, you know, they don't want you, they don't want me playing video games all day if they think that it's just like a waste of time, but if they see that there's actually a future in and a potential in it, then they're going to support me all the way. Um, yeah. So definitely as soon as the journey really got underway, I would say that my parents were super supportive um, overall, though, I think it's, it, you know, esports is kind of unique in that it's a very personal journey. Like, you know, the first whatever 10 years of your practice is going to be by yourself. You know, there's not going to be any teams or, or, you know, coaches or people to support you. People disagree with you. Like, you know, it's it's everyone starts in their bedroom, right? Just playing games because they love playing games. So I think what's really interesting is that everybody has that kind of untold story of like their first five to 10 years gaming before they go pro is just like, you know, that, that all is just organic. It's just, you know, no, nobody's like, it's not like hockey where maybe you show some insane talent or something and you start getting groomed or, you know, in traditional sports. I mean, esports is just kind of wild, wild west until you are actually at the point where you're ready to start competing. Yeah. Uh, so the lack of like a... A natural, you know, progression uh, definitely makes things a bit weird in esports.
0: It's uh, it's quite understandable. All right. So, I was more of a, I'm I'm not going to tell no one until I make it. And then I'll have the leverage of a paycheck. But you do support my Yeah, team. I mean,
1: I was in college. So, like, I mean, what, what am I going to say? Hey, mom, by the way, I'm trying to go prone playing video games. She's going to be like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? So, I mean, I kind of. I don't think it was unreasonable of them to be unsupportive uh, at the time. But I kind of knew that that was the case. So I kind of felt like I had to just go it alone and, and uh, you know, stay strong. All right. But I think I also learned a lot during that period of, like, self-sufficiency and, and stuff like that to practice a ton while also being a full-time college student.
0: So back in, okay, so back in those days, what did your daily routine look like then?
1: Um, my daily routine, I wake up in the morning... Um, and then basically just as quickly as possible, you know, eat, eat some breakfast uh, and head down to the practice facility, start gaming. Um, I think the biggest thing for me as a player is, like, just working on mechanics and, and improving in, the, in that realm. So I feel like I need to invest a lot of time and just grinding the game.
0: Uh, yeah, speaking of staying strong, do you... Uh, do you use rock climbing to complement what you do in sports or is that just a separate thing that you enjoy doing?
1: Um, honestly, I haven't climbed in a while. I think it's it's become too time consuming at this point oh, where, yeah. you know, every, every minute is sort of accounted for. Um, or I feel like, you know, because I feel like it's, it takes so much more time to go climb than just go for a run or something. And I feel like I can get the same you know, fitness results. I I think in esports, you kind of accept that you're not, um, you're not looking to be like as fit as you can be. You just want to be, you know, healthy. I think a lot of people don't even get to that standard, but for me, my, my thought process is like, I just want to, you know, work out enough to to feel good, be healthy and, and not be worried about health issues, uh, you know, rearing their ugly head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I was going to say, I've seen uh, the only time I've seen you was on, uh, um, TV or whatever. And, um, on a TV screen i mean you look you look thin so I'm, I'm just assuming you do something to not let yourself go unless you wanted to let yourself go but that's that's enough for that you know what i mean <laughs>
1: no i don't want to let myself i mean I, th- I think there's a point where it's like there's no e- you know just because you're committed to esports doesn't mean you can't live a healthy lifestyle you know it's just it's just a matter of willpower you know yeah. coming home at the end of a long day and getting on the treadmill instead of sitting on the couch just that simple You know, it's tough to do always, but I think it's like super important to performance. You know, even in esports, it's like I think if you're fit and healthy, you're probably going to be your best performance relative to if you weren't. You know, there's just no. It seems to me that it's just pretty straightforward, right? If you're you're healthy, you're probably going to be performing better. Probably going to have a longer career. That's a big one, actually. It's just a longer career. You know, I think people underestimate how bad injuries are in terms of ending people's esports careers. You know, a lot of people take an injury and are just kind of never the same or uh, just, you know, their careers over at that point and they're easily forgotten, but definitely something that's fresh in your mind as an esports player. You know, you really want to focus on being healthy and in your posture, being healthy and, you know, getting a workout can help that as well. Um, you know, making sure you're not getting stress injuries or anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Posture makes sense. I tend to slouch a little bit. But anyways, how did you, uh, why did you pick Houston as your team? Instead of like Seoul uh, or any other,
1: well, one thing, I couldn't have really joined the full Korean teams. Although I've always yeah. sort of been interested in that, I think it'd be like an exciting challenge to like learn Korean and play with Koreans and just just completely, you know, be a foreigner, you know, in in, the, in another team. I think that'd be really exciting and interesting. And you know, who knows? Maybe at some point in my player career, I'll have the opportunity. But I think for now, I couldn't be happier you know, anywhere else. Uh, I think I joined Houston. Or you know, in the beginning when I was setting out, I didn't know what team I was going to join. Uh, uh, still trying to like field offers, trying to get offers. Uh, my number one concern was roster. I was like, I just want to play with the best players I can play with. I want to find the players that I think have the most potential, both as teammates in terms of their approach to the game, and also just as individuals, like very very high individual skill, very very high, um, you know, work ethic. So I think for me, I was insanely happy to get an offer to the Houston Outlaws because I knew. Uh, when I signed, I knew that Muma and Coolman were already on the team, and they were like, I'm just, I was locked in at that point. I was like, well, I really hope you get these other few players. You know, I was really pulling. I was like, try and get Rockus, try and get Ruckus. Um You know, and he had a ton of offers, of course. But, you know, when, when I knew Muma and Matt were signed, I was like, well, this is definitely going to be the best Western team. I, I just felt like they were the best tank duo, um, the best individual tanks in their roles in the West. So for me, it was just like, that's the roster that I believe in, and that's the roster that I want to be a part of. And then I think it's also really paid double dividends because even the players I didn't know as well, um, you know, like the FNRGFE boys besides cool Matt, Um, I think I've been really, really impressed. I think Banny especially has impressed me a ton in terms of how quickly he learned a new character. I think people are really, you know, you don't get the spotlight as a Mercy player ever, but yeah. I watched well, Banny go from like completely new, never played Mercy and like made a bunch of mistakes all the time in scrims and matches, uh, was just like a non-consistent player to, you know, three weeks later, he's like the most consistent Mercy player, has some of the least deaths on Mercy of anyone in the league, has some of the best movement. I'm like watching his movement, like, oh my God, that's insane. Like, you know, he really is min-maxing the character in just a couple weeks of of really intensive practice. So to me, that showed that he actually took it seriously, that he actually, a lot of players were just like, oh, whatever, Mercy, this character's so dumb, I just refuse to try. And then, you know, it, it looks terrible. They're throwing for their team. You know, you have a lot of players who just shouldn't be in the Overwatch League on Mercy you know, should probably stick to their main character because they're just completely terrible at Mercy. Uh, and Banny really wasn't one of those players, you know. Not like he had any more experience on Mercy than anyone else. He just wasn't, you know, lazy, honestly. I think that's another thing that kind of pisses me off about the Overwatch League is all these, there are all these teams that are like, yeah, you know, well, when this patch is over, then we'll be really good. It's like, what do you mean? Are you just lazy? You just, like, won't learn the new characters? Like, I don't know. I, I don't really understand that argument.
0: I mean, Mercy players kind of did get the spotlight when you had grabs and genji alts and sex tuples and then here or quintuples and then heroes never die apparently uh but i like it i mean this patch heroes do die <laughs> die a lot of you. Um, yeah, yeah obviously you guys I mean, are still in the y'all are still in the valk patch no in the uh, two well, rest? we're done now yeah, like, yeah so now it, stage
1: be... two will be will be on the new the new non-valk or the new mercy nerf junkrat nerf patch um which I think is definitely good for the game, and, and I, I don't think that this the, the stage one was necessarily the most healthy meta. But I do think it's a little weird that there were, like, professional players who still couldn't play the characters that they were playing on stage. They still, like, obviously weren't practicing them. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to name any names, but there are definitely yeah. players who, are like, we're, so, were underperforming so hard on these characters where it's, like, it seems clear to me that they're not practicing them. um Because, like, you know, there's ladder players who are just better than them and decision-making and mechanics. Uh, so that was a little... A little interesting to see, but I'm really happy, I think, that my team didn't, you know, just because the meta is, like, a little weird, you know, everyone rose to the challenge of, like, you know, how do I play perfectly, like, what's the best way to play? There's no, I think it's a very, like, Western mentality to be like, oh, well, whatever, it's out of our control, you know? We can, we're not good at these heroes. Instead of, you know, having the mindset of, that's the hero I need to play, how do I become the best at it? Um, yeah. Which I think is, like, the Korean mindset, you watch them adapt to the meta over time, it's, like, clear that there's no... Uh, I don't know. No reservations about playing what it takes to get the win. Mm.
0: Um, if you talk about my. Okay, hang, hang, hang. I want to ask you this first. Uh, have you ever, in any of the seasons, from season one to eight, flexed to Mercy in a competitive game?
1: Yeah, I played Mercy a few times. I actually like playing Mercy. I think she's a pretty fun healer just because she's like oh, a really? lot of min maxing potential. Yeah, like always, always damaging the right target or healing the right target and always being in the right position there's like those are actually quite it's quite difficult to actually do that perfectly um to really be a perfect mercy player like you're always in the right position relative to sidelines and spam uh you're always on the right target whether that be heals or damage you know and the answer to that question isn't always clear you know sometimes it's even when you have hurt players it's more important to be damage boosting you know one player so that he can get kills and uh bring you back into the fight rather than trying to heal tanks that you know, maybe just an unwinnable effort. So there's a lot of decision making there that I think is pretty subtle, um, so, but it's still you know really really important on Mercy. It's just a lot of people don't don't think about it. You know, just hold left click or whatever. But yeah, that, the, the character definitely I think has has a lot more than meets the eye uh, in terms of like really applying it to its potential.
0: So the term boost in Mercy main doesn't really uh, that doesn't really work or. What? I mean, you
1: can be you can be boosted on on Mercy, but I think I think it's it like. It's you distinguish yourself on Mercy in a very different way than you distinguish yourself on McCree, right? You distinguish yourself on McCree by clicking on them on the head, but Mercy is, is about you know not dying. It's about you know being in the right right place at the right time, making the right decision at that moment. Ultimate decisions, Res decisions. You know, there's there's a lot of decision making on Mercy. It's just you know it's it's not always clear what the right move is or, or what the right play is. I think a lot of players just instantly go for a Res when a player dies instead of considering you know is this a safe Res? Is it worthwhile? How close am I to Valkyrie? Could I just farm Valk and get a safe Res by Insta Resing? You know, there's all these questions I think that a lot of people just don't ask and, and play the game more straightforwardly. But um, you know, watching Good Mercy players it's clear that they're really thinking about these decisions and you know actually taking their time, not not like just you know using abilities for the sake of using abilities. Uh, and I think it really shows in, in terms of the success of their
0: teams. All right. All right. Well congrats well I mean to be fair I, always, I totally always respected mercies you know totally uh, <laughs> if we talk on mindset for a second uh, let's go back to the World Cup actually um, everyone wanted USA versus Korea in the final match um, but you got them in the first match um, but what was your mindset there because I felt like you were the only one who would like this is good because we beat this team this Korean team right now I mean, and then we win the tournament I think, overall I think- I
1: think all of us in Team USA, it was like, it didn't really matter when we played them. I think the, I mean, I know the viewership was the highest during our game, higher than the grand finals, South Korea against Canada, because I think, I think people, a lot of people feel like we were the only people who can, make a, um, a real challenge to the South Korean team. And I kind of felt that way myself. So my feeling going into it was that this can only help us because, you know, they're not going to know the way we play. They're not going to have any other, you know, if we played two series, you know, leading up to the grand finals against South Korea, then they'd have a lot more, um, a lot more tape to review. They could see how we play. They could see our strategies. Um, but, you know, playing them first round was just like fresh. Like you just get to, you know, nobody knows what to expect. And I think that that environment, a little more chaos, definitely um, benefited us. I think it was insane how close that series was to being a 3-0 for us. Yeah. You know, we really came close to winning Eichenwald, a couple of really small mistakes. And, you know, the same was true on, um, Hanamura mm-hmm. so I think oh by the way Junker was fire
0: a, Hanamura yeah, yeah,
1: it was um on a, it, was, it was honestly a great series, you know, and at the end of the day I can't complain but it really did feel good to come that close I think like that was a series where it was just like clear that there were so many moments that we could have won it And they just barely swung it back, uh, you know, I think that was it felt it was clear to the spectators was clear to us You know that was a clash of the Titans. You know, we obviously felt bad as we wanted to win, you know, feel like we could have won Felt like we were that close, but at the same time, it does feel really good to, you know, have a really insanely close series with some of the best players in the game. Um, I think even they were not expecting us to be that much of a challenge, uh, and I think we really surprised the world and surprised South Korea with that regard, but hopefully next year we can close it out. I really do think that there's no reason the Western team, especially next year, can't, can't win the World Cup. I actually think uh, next year is our year
0: Yeah, in a, well, in a very big way. You know, says, I think
1: ultimately, like the chaos and the disorganization of the World Cup kind of plays the favor of Western teams, right? Yeah. It depend- I wonder. I guess uh, what roster will be going next year? If it'll be like a full team, um, a full South Korean roster, or if they'll, you know, pick and choose from different rosters like we did last time.
0: Well, I guess time will come out. Uh, by the way, Hanamura, rip your soldier! Oil, by the way, I mean literally yeah, every it's time it's you pull the visor, right, you got assassinated. As it feels bad. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's just really really clean play uh, From the South Korean squad and and you know a little bit weak positioning for me. There are a couple of plays that I didn't expect a couple should have expected um, But ultimately they just you know, they're a really really good team, right? They knew exactly how to put the pressure on you know, they weren't um, Weren't afraid to go for plays when it was time to make a play um, You know just an in insanely talented squad so for us, it was just you know kind of like bashing your head against the wall and Kind of just sucks to play the game when the enemy team's Widowmaker has 80% scoped uh, accuracy, huh? but... uh is meta. You know, yes. you got to just do your best. I, I will say, I think we played admirably, considering the game that Flower had. You know, it's pretty was hard to win. Flower, yeah. Their Widow's just popping off. Yeah, Flower had an absolutely insane series there. I, I'm definitely excited to play against him in, in the Overwatch League. I think he's going to be a huge contender, a huge player for the New York Excelsior.
0: Yo, you were... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to bring back dark times, but Hannomo, you were pretty close. was the voice comms going on like when they were stolen that last point out? Because had I, to... We got unlucky
1: in, in a couple ways. I
0: know Rockus got rezzed, and Zumba had
1: just been desuited, so he popped bomb uh, just to get back into his mech, and unfortunately, Rockus got rezzed at like, exactly the same time and couldn't... And just the decision uh, that he got rezzed... I gonna, saw that, I saw that, yeah, bomb. first point. They died twice, just as the invulnerability <laughs> ended, so honestly pretty unlucky he was like 96% chance trance so I think we would have just won if that didn't happen uh Sinatra like blinked to chase um SBB and like caught a stick on, uh, that wasn't intended for him because he was like chasing the tracer frag and didn't have recall uh and then you know SVB cleans up Adam and then from there it's just kind of over we're down three but uh so I think a, kind of a few unlucky things happen uh successively to us so, you know that was a feels bad man but definitely, you know, just major props to them. They're all really clutch players. And, yeah. you know, you have to be more prepared, more organized in the clutch, not letting things like that happen. Um, which, unfortunately, we weren't. So, you know, it feels bad, man. Could have won it all. I don't think, I honestly think we we probably needed to win the first three maps to win the series. Because uh, I think Gibraltar and Oasis both really played to their strengths relative to ours. Um, I don't know, we could have won it in the tie break, I guess. But I think for us, it was like, It was definitely hard because we're, you know, way less experienced than them. You know, they were basically like a half of two different teams uh, and they had a lot more time to like work together and practice. So I think for us, it was kind of, you know, we felt like we really did need to get momentum in the series and carry that forward. Um, But maybe that was a misstep by us. You know, maybe we should have just been more prepared to gut it out over a long series. I think next year that will definitely be the case. It'll be a little bit more uh, preparation from the U.S. team considering the Overwatch League is kind of the perfect training ground
0: for stuff like that. Yeah, well, speaking of the Watch League and still a mindset, I got to tell you, man, the beginning of the Atlas season didn't start out too great, but then there was this patch when you guys just, like, won everything. So what was the switch there from, like, okay, we're just losing that to, okay, now we're gods?
1: I think it was just, a it was, like, an effort thing and a mindset thing. I think we after we took our first losses in week, week one, we were just, like, you know, super dissatisfied with that. We, like, didn't want that to be... The way our stage one went, so we really just reapproached practice, reapproached the game, um, both on a personal level and on a team level, uh, and just like really upped our commitment level and our effort level, both you know in game and scrims, and then also out of game strategic research uh, in our own personal practice. I think everybody kind of took that as a kick in the pants and just was like, you know, it's time to do this for real. Um, so I think after week one, we really had like a huge motivation spike from those losses. We were just like, no, we're not going to let that happen again.
0: Well, as an individual, do you think we, uh, or do you think we as individuals limit our ability on how great we can actually be? Like whether, even if, even if it's just like, um, your skill in general, sorry, what do you think we as individuals Mm. limit our ability to be as, as, Mm. uh, to be as great as we can?
1: I mean, I think the only limit to your ability is like your discipline, the amount of work you're willing to put in. For me, it's just like a straight up equation. It's like the more work you put in, the more skill you're going to have at the end of the day. Um, you know, you know, your your brain is complicated, but also, you know, kind of simple in the sense that if you just do things over and over and over again, you get better at them. Um, and, you know, everyone knows that. It's like there's no secret. Everything in the world
0: works it's like funny. that. It's funny. Everyone knows so that. To me... But- but I mean, not
1: everyone really knows that, you know,
0: but I mean,
1: everybody knows that in, in a sense, but they don't really uh, think about that. Like what that really means at a deep level is that if you really wanted to be great at something, it's not it's not a question of like, you know, talent or or, um, you know, potential or anything like that. I kind of don't like those words because I feel like, you know, they just distract you from the real reality is that no matter how much talent or how little talent you have, the only thing that you can control is how much work you put in and how much discipline you have. So if you want to be the best you can be, then you just have to put in as much work as you can put in. Yeah. Uh, and what that looks like in your life is sort of up to you and, and up to the, obviously you know, up to everyone to, to work as hard as they're willing to work. Um, but I think if that's a very high level of, of effort and that you're willing to put in, then I think it's very likely that you'll be successful in eSports and in, in anything. So if people limit their potential only because maybe they don't believe in themselves or they, they have. Mm, You know, or they—they forget that if they just put the time in, they'll get there. um, For whatever reason, sometimes it is pretty tough to remember. You know, have a bad day, you're like, "Man, I just suck."
0: (laughs) But uh, just gotta, Um, just gotta keep resetting. It's 250 SR drop days. Ah, you know what, man? Screw this. I'm gonna play my alt. I'm making my alt account my main account for now, man, because I suck and my teammates suck. And we're getting boosted. Yeah, I mean Bruce's you can't be again. worried
1: about can't be worried about SR. You know, the thing about ranked, I think this is a bit weird Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, a lot of games you don't have control over.
0: You 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 kids say don't worry about SR, right? You're a top 500 player saying don't worry about SR. What up but what up for us diamonds and monsters down here trying to be low like
1: well, my, my point is you can't you can't <laughs> sweat the little things like you can't sweat like a lot like the way you can't let a loss turn into a lost streak. And I think that always happens because people like put too much stock in a game. They're like, oh man, that was so winnable. And, Whatever X Y Z reasons, but I, if, if you honestly just have like a really mental reset between every game and You just don't like win or lose you just kind of keep playing each game as if it's the first game of the day yep. I think like that, that mindset it makes it really hard to have streaky games like wins or losses really um, I think when you will still get win streaks because you'll still get lucky and you'll still be playing well sometimes and be on a roll uh, But loss streaks are way less prevalent if you just take time between games like don't instantly queue up You know take a minute breathe relax be like all right, I'm resetting especially if it's a really tilting game like you know you have some sim players or whatever you just like oh my god just (laughs) give yourself five minutes take a walk you know like things like that actually make such a big difference stretch out a little like uh, I think um, I think those you know those like little practices in, in real life can really make a difference in the game how you play just you know a mental reset
0: I guess I got a question how did you personally climb the ladder Cause I'm still trying to figure out here. Uh, like, um, like, what am I do? Like, what am I actually doing here? Cause like, there's some days where I will climb 250 points, whatever. And there's some days where I lose this 250 points, and I'm like, what am I doing? Because like, I played from, let's just say four hours, for example, and I literally didn't move. It's like solo queue feels like a 50-50 or an 80-20 on some days.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you're you're you're. You're running on a, on a treadmill, you know, that's that's what the that's what ranked matchmaking is. So, you know, if you're discovering things at a certain place, like whether or not that actor accurately ranked your skill is the only way to, to prove that, I guess, is to go out, go out there and like play to your skill level. And, you know, the, there's, there's some games where it just you, you just got unlucky, right? And, and like your teammates collectively had such a low impact that no matter how high your personal impact was, you couldn't win. But that doesn't mean you can't always, you know, push yourself higher and can't always say, well, I could have done more. So I think it's like a big thing is just having the mindset that every game is winnable, that even when you have um, symmetric players or, you know, whatever, some tilting team composition that you can still, you know, go out there and, uh, you know, have a really high game impact and, and be satisfied with that, whether you're winning or you're losing. I think that's a big difference, too, is, you know, if you feel like you had a really good game and then you lost, don't be disappointed in that. You know, don't be like, oh, man, what a shitty game just because yeah. you lost. You know if you went out there and you played really well and you like really worked on the heroes you wanted to work on and felt like you had the game impact you wanted to have and then your team just really couldn't close it out then i feel like that that's not you should feel bad about that you shouldn't you should feel good about that because that's like a a big sign of improvement is that you're actually having you know really good effective games and you could still ask the question you know how could i have done better you know what what could i learn from that game uh, going forward but I think one thing is, is just don't uh, don't put too much stock in one individual game, like just you know keep grinding it out because at the end of the day it really is just practice. Uh, I think for me it's like, you know, I started off in Top 500 but that was just because I was a TF2 player, right, so I was already better than almost anyone in the game when I first got it. Which is just, you know, it's like if you didn't play 5,000 hours of TF2 then that's <laughs> probably not the case. Uh, you gotta put the work in, in Overwatch. Um, but it's still very achievable it's just you know 5,000 hours takes a long time <laughs> gotta, oh, gotta right, trust been, the process that's you
0: like... be sarcastic with 5,000 hours or was it actually no no actually 5,000 hours oh is that okay damn uh, if you could yeah, do 14 year old Jake, steam. or it's
1: like 4,500 4, or something
0: if you could give 14 year old mini Jake any advice what would it be um
1: I think the biggest thing is just that, you know, hard work will get you where you want to go. I think that's like a really cliche piece of advice. It but is. At the same it is. time.
0: I mean, that piece of advice feels like just a classic, you know, thing to say, but you know, makes sense. <laughs>
1: Damn. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not about uh, anyone wants to hear, right? Because there's no, you know, everyone wants, oh, there's for the is, secret. these secret tips. The pros don't want you to know. and. Like, you know, as much as I I can sympathize with that, you know, because I, you know, felt very much the same way. And there are some things you can learn about the game that maybe you didn't know before that might give you a little edge, you know, little subtle things. But they're so microscopic, you know, they're so marginal that the thing that really makes you better at the game is just investing more time and being really self-critical, I think, is is another big thing is, you know, don't just play the game, you know, autopilot, go, 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 just... You know, if, if at every moment you say like, well, is this a position I even want to be in? Why, why is this a position I want to be in? You know, what character on? What characters are they on? You know, really conceptualizing the game and, and, and considering maybe this way that I've always played this map is not the right way to play this map. So, you know, trying not to fall into these these habits that are just habits, you know, for the sake of habits. They're not, um it's not like an actual game play. You're not, you know, playing around the comp or playing around the situation. You're just kind of playing the map the way you've always played the map. Uh, I think things like that can be really negative to someone's improvement you know you have to just kind of stay out of those habits you know stay reactive to the situation and uh in the moment that you know kind of do what the game demands in the moment and i think that that is like a really hard thing to do like if you can actually play the game for like four hours and constantly be focused and thinking is this the best way to play did i make any mistakes there what should i do next if you're actually considering all those things it's very hard to play the game for a long period of time because it's very like mentally taxing uh, if you're putting in that much effort, though, like improvement is just like a, a natural result. Huh.
0: You still breathing? Yeah, I'm. I'm breathing, man. I'm just taking a I'm just trying to feel like is like is the term carry on DPS an actual thing?
1: Um, I mean, you can, but you can carry on every roll. Like, you know, if I were to go into, like, a diamond game and play Winston, I would have, like, a 90% win rate. Like, it's not about... Um,
0: That's disrespect about, to us, but okay. Uh,
1: I mean, but it's the reality. Like, you can you can hard carry them. I mean, there's some characters that you really can't carry on. Like, you really have low game impact on, like, Lucio and stuff. But then, you know, how are there still Lucios in the top 500 that only play Lucio? It's like, well, they're, they're probably pretty damn good. Like, they probably are, like, super hard to kill and they're... You know somehow managing to get frags you know supporting their team really effectively you know they're not carrying the game quote unquote but just always being in the right spot always having the right timing to drop the beat farming beat really fast not dying like those skills end up in them winning games and you know that's why they're at the top of the ladder you know for like Winston right it's like what your decision-making about when to jump when not to jump where to jump you know how to abuse map geometry who to be attacking like all those Millions of decisions that you make in, you know, one minute of playing the game really add up I think to your effectiveness Um, You know, there's a lot more into the game like DPS I think is the most straightforward because it's kind of like hit the shots don't hit the shots But even then there's still a lot more under the surface because a lot of people don't think about things like their positioning Their positioning relative to their team relative to the enemies, you know Where should I be on the map when I take this fight? So, you know, even if you hit 100% of your shots you might just die right like that's why you see in this game there's like people who are actually cheating in like masters <laughs> like, you know, like, like actually cheating like, they're, they're using an aimbot and they're not in grandmaster or anything because this game is like it doesn't matter how good you are you actually it doesn't matter how good you are like traditional fps skills i mean it does matter to an extent and there's times where you can really leverage it but you can also completely play around there like the fact that you can beat players who are literally aimbotting is like you know, in Counter Strike, you just you aren't gonna win if there are anybody. Like, let me tell you, like, there's just nothing you can do. Like, they're just gonna take you're gonna one shot you every time you peek them. Like, and there's there's just no answers to that in Counter Strike, because uh, the game like is like if you have better end than them, then you just win almost every time. Um, uh, especially if you're cheating. And I think Overwatch is unique in that you know, like, you could actually be cheating and not not be that effective and not be as effective as a top player, who is just you know using their ability even if they're hitting way less shots than you. You know, they're still, like, making the right decisions. I think that's a big thing about Overwatch is people forget is that it's a MOBA. Um, probably more so than it is a first-person shooter. Yeah. Especially at a competitive level, it feels like the MOBA elements, like team decision-making, ultimate economy, those things win you a lot more games than, than head-clicking.
0: Well, I don't want to hold you much longer than what I need to, but uh, I do want to ask, do you play... I know you're a flex DPS, but do you play every DPS from... Like, what? what is your actual hero pool? Like, is it from Doomfist to Widow or is it like certain characters in that area?
1: Um, I play, I mean, I could play all the the DPS to a reasonable level. Like, I play basically every character in the game in a reasonable level. But in terms of like what I would play in a pro match, probably um, what Tracer, Genji, Soldier, McCree, um, Pharah. I play every DPS except like Widow and Doomfist, pretty much. All the, all the offense defense characters except Widow and Doomfist. They're still the only two that I don't really play. Um my is pretty weak, I would say. I would always prefer to play Soldier. Um but I think beyond that, I could play everything. I play Mei, I play Hanzo, play Bastion and Torb. My Torb is actually is big, you know. People don't get to see the Torb every day, but I got like, I got a crazy left clicks.
0: How's your how's your Genji game doing?
1: It's okay, you know, I'm actually not playing Genji too much these days, I'm really on Tracer. I think it's super hard to, Genji and Tracer are two characters that are both, like, really difficult to to master. Like, they both require a huge time investment. Uh, and you'll see a few players, you know, those players like Profit, who are, like, really effective on both Genji and Tracer. Uh, but I think that's incredibly rare. I think the vast majority of, of players who are strong on one of those characters um, are only strong on one of them, right? Yeah. They, they've really invested time into one of them. So for me, that's becoming Tracer now. I'm like really working on Tracer, trying to be a more effective player for the team, which is really weird, I think, because there was a character that I always just considered out of my pool because on previous teams, I, you know, my last team I had trained, you would always play it. On Team USA, I was Statra. Obviously, I'm not going to play it over him. Um, so I think for me, it was like a character I never considered picking up. Uh, but recently, I think it makes a lot more sense with Linkser. You know, there's a lot of times when I should be on Tracer, um, but it's also cool because we both have Tracer in the pool. So you know, depending on which one of us wants to play a, a comfort main DPS, the other can always flex tracer. So I'm just trying to work on that so that I'm, I'm ready to do that when the time demands it. It's interesting uh, that I'm like, I've had to, like, shrink my hero pool for the Overwatch yeah. League. Like, you have to specialize further and just be really, really good at the stuff you can play um, rather than trying to play everything.
0: I mean, yeah. I feel like, yeah, like Genji's also the most mechanical DPS salt just because you can actually F it up. And by that, I mean, you can lose the target. But in the long run, do you think it'd be more worth mastering Genji or Hanzo? I know Hanzo's never really been meta. And Genji's I mean, Hanzo, kind of...
1: the problem is that no one has ever been able to become consistent at Hanzo. And other people, people are consistent at Genji. Right? They're actually, you know, they're very consistent. But even, even Raxu is like probably the best Hanzo player in the game. And he can't play it all the time, right? So, yeah, yeah you know, no matter how good you are, it's just, it's just a fundamentally inconsistent character. Just by its nature. The other thing is, I think it's also much harder to play in competitive than pubs because people don't one v one you in competitive, or like they won't one v one a Hanzo um, unless they're you know really advantaged or something like. And that's how you like succeed on Hanzo a lot of the time is you just win one v ones by hitting a headshot that you you know it's just a really difficult shot. But you just hit it. Um, but the reality is that in a competitive game, you know people are going to be like swarming you with Winston and Diva, and like it's not going to matter how good you are. You're just never going to get an opportunity because you're playing Hanzo you know his lack of mobility i think is really crushing so all definitely right. in the current meta he just has no place i think maybe in other metas he'll have a place i think maybe like Kick's Row you'll see him but he's still pretty effective attacking Kick's Row you know there's some niche situations for him but he's a pretty weak character uh, against the current meta um
0: damn, i feel like uh listen all right all right listen i can let you go but i got i got one more question here one more question. All right. This is this is for me personally more. All right. So um, season eight, pretty much for me, has been all about, you know, okay, I was going to say something that was going to be cringy. When I'm Reaper, right? Uh, Reaper <coughs> Man, by the way, um, Hidden the Blossoms, Death Walks Among You, all that. Uh, there's this one character in the game that really pisses me off. All right. That should be removed from the game. And that's no other than stupid... Black Watch McCree looking ass. Um, what 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 did I do against the McCree man? Like uh, yeah, like literally. On reaper? Yeah. You get off of reaper, dude. Yeah, don't get yeah, off. Reaper, of reaper just actually Screw that, sucks man. against McCree. McCree dude, <laughs> dude, I, reaper I, is one of the worst
1: characters in the game. Well, not one of the worst, McCree, but he's one of like, dude. he just he just has like one of the least amount of plays you can make. Like it's McCree's like the most straightforward here on the. Oh, yeah, so, McCree's hold like, him. you know, he's he's like more versatile and stuff. But Reaper is just like. You literally only do one thing.
0: And that and is. And
1: you do that thing pretty well, like close range brawling. Like you do that pretty effectively, but your escape is like pretty weak in the sense that it only works if you're around your team because like it's super easy to just chase you down. Like McCree could just roll after you and then like flashbang you right at the end of it and you're just dead because it's super, you know, like you know when it's going to end. They know when it's going to end. There's not much you can do about that. Um, oh, so I think it's... any character that has like playmaking potential can really shut down Reaper. Even it's... something like Tracer can do pretty well. Um, re- Reaper's just like... It's just it's more of a response to an enemy team picking like... Uh, an overly tanky composition or something than, than it is like a really valuable DPS. It's... I think he's found some effectiveness on like some maps but... right now it feels like mobility is at like a huge premium and Reaper is
0: one of the worst in that, re- that regard. It's because of these... Like even McCree has better mobility. Well, it's because of these retarded reasons that I've had to pick up the stupid Genji. I never wanted to main Genji, mainly because um, it feels like everyone's a Genji, Tracer, McCree, Widow main, and I actually wanted to find a character that a DPS character that at least made me feel half-unique when playing him, you know? Like, if I play Tracer, uh, I just, you know, it's like, okay, cool, I can kill you, but it just feels like every other character, was. But anyways, man, you got any uh, you got any quick tips for any aspiring nine-year-old mains out there who every time they take out the sword just lose targets?
1: Mm, practice, practice, practice. Um, bro, one thing bro. is you might want to turn up your sensitivity. I, I felt like my sensitivity was like too low for a long time. Um, I think if you can't really quickly 180 and still have mouse control to the point where you're actually like aiming, you know, if you're 180ing and your mouse is at like the very top right corner of your mouse pad, then that's you don't have mouse control, not really. Um, so practicing that 180 and that 90 degree like practicing those big like turnaround flicks is super super important on Genji because if you're blading you're constantly dashing through people and turning around to finish them off so the more consistent you are with just that exactly one in 180 degree spin, the faster you are on Genji at like you know acquiring new targets and, and just cleaving them up with your blade so I would say like really you want to up your sensitivity I use 4800 edpi I think that's an effective sense because it allows me to turn around pretty easily. Um, but you have to find what works for you um, In terms of something you can control But it's fast enough But if you can't like really quickly 180 And and you know be mm, Close enough to the center of your mouse pad Or if you can't If you're like fat you can practice Doing the 180 and then doing a mouse reset um, So you can have better aim Like the, those kind of things Just like the really like rote memorization Helps a lot on Genji Just like dashing through people And then like you always 180 melee at the end of that um, Just to get that extra free melee damage Right like things like that are just if you just practice them enough on bots, you'll start doing them in the real game on players, and they just increase your damage output by a bit.
0: All right. So, those are tips from a freaking Overwatch League player, bro. Not just an Overwatch League player, but freaking Jake, Houston Outlaws. Uh, I'm going to let you go now. But by the way, just know that your boy is repping the Houston Genji and the Fire Skins. Uh, by the way, it's half a Fire main uh, to, to, co- to all the Hitscan mains out there, kissing ass. Uh, <laughs> But thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. It was, it was fun. It was yeah, fun. no worries, man. Thanks for All having right. me. Good luck for... Uh, good luck in Overwatch League, man. I'm a, I'm rooting for Houston, man. Houston for love. I, even though I'm not from Houston, uh, you're on it, so... H-Town. Good luck, man. All right, peace. Thank you. Thanks, man. Peace. 180 Flicks. All right, Burs So that was up a butter from Jake, aka Jordan Spieth of Overwatch. Thank you for joining us today.
1: He gave you a lot to think about,
0: <sighs> bro. That's mind blowing. Right now, I don't know if we can be friends because what he said of Reaper. But i uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, just kidding. Nah, he, he is right. I I do get wrecked um, by any McCree with half a brain. But yeah. you know that's when the Genji comes out uh, or the Junkrat. But anyways you So how does it feel That you gotta to speak to To Jake Yo man Yo man's? Feels Feels good man That's a big feels good man Um
1: Yeah he had a lot of Good stuff Yeah right? So now you're gonna have to Digest that Take it in
0: Yeah So You do know that this means I'm GM tomorrow right <laughs> <laughs> I have to play all that for that Anyways You boys who chase and yours I'm good chasing mine because I got work to do. All oh, it's your boy. Peace.